You're very welcome along to episode 27 of Folklore Fragments, the podcast from the National Folklore Collection, University College Dublin. Now, our topic for this episode is the Banshee, a very well-known supernatural figure in Irish folk tradition and indeed in popular culture further afield. She's had an American TV series named after her, not to mention the McDonnell F-2H Banshee, a single-seat carrier-based jet fighter aircraft used by the U.S. Navy and U.S. Marines from 1948 to 1961. But afternoon TV and the Korean War aside, our focus today is on the Banshee in her true form as a supernatural harbinger of death whose origins can be traced back to at least the 8th century. I'm particularly excited to be joined for today's episode by Professor Patricia Lysett, who has the title of being the world authority on the Banshee, having written and lectured ex- extensively on the topic. Patricia's book, The Banshee, The Irish Supernatural Death Messenger, was originally published in 1986, with a second edition published in 1996. The great professor Joseph Lackignage of UCLA wrote that her book was arguably the best study of Irish folklore to have come out of the post-war period, and he further stated that it is exhaustive in its coverage of data, magisterial in its handling of secondary sources, and innovative in its application of theoretical folkloristics. It's a truly fantastic text and it'll appeal to hardened folklorists and lay people alike. The O'Brien Press also published a, po- a pocket book of the Banshee by Patricia in 1998. And Patricia is a native of County Clare in the west of Ireland and her academic background is in law and classics as well as Irish language and literature and Irish comparative folklore and ethnology. Her work has appeared in major international publications and she's lectured widely in Europe, the USA and Canada as well as parts of Asia. And aside from her long list of prestigious academic achievements I'm particularly glad to have her here today as she is the one who convinced me to study in the Department of Irish Folklore when I first stumbled through the doors there back in 2008. So, Patricia, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Johnny. So, to start, it's worth maybe considering kind of how should we think of the Banshee, really? Who is she and and, and how, where does she fit in, in Irish folk tradition? She is, of course, a creature of the Irish imagination. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that imagination is very rich and varied. We have an immense amount of ideas uh, about the Banshee, which is found um, in the oral tradition um, of the of the Irish people at home and to some extent abroad as well. Those who immigrated in the late 19th century and in the early decades of the 20th century, they brought um, homeland traditions with them. Included among them uh, was those were those of, of the uh, of the Banshee. Mm. So if we want to look then at what the popular tradition tells us to start with, because that is very rich, mm. uh, we find that this other world woman is woman who is said to presage death in, in Irish families. She's called Unvanshee uh, in the Irish language, which means the Banshee, which mm. means the woman of the other world. Yeah. So in other words, uh, she has a mystical origin and she em- emanates uh, from, from the other world. Um, in the English language, um, she's called the Banshee, and that's found uh, throughout Ireland. And um, and despite that name, she's never consin- considered to be one of the fairy folk. She's yeah. connected with death, and she's an individual being. And then elsewhere, in parts of Limerick and Tipperary, she's called Unvan Quinta, the mm. Keening Woman. Now, the Keening women of Irish tradition, of course, uh, are very well known. But here we have the definite article there, so it means mm. that she's a specific keening woman. And the context in which it is used and which she appears 
leaves no doubt about it that we're talking about this other world woman who is um, foretelling death in Irish family. So she, it's another name for the banshee. And still yet, uh, a more interesting one, and, and also a very old one, and indicative indeed of the continuity of motifs and ideas in, from, in Irish tradition from way back in time, is that she's called, in parts of the southeast, she's called the Baib or the Bohinta mm. or the Bau, and that are variant forms of the uh, Irish language word Baif, who was a goddess of war and the announcer of death, a violent death in the early literature. So they're very rich terminology and nomenclature for, 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 for the Banshee in, in Irish tradition. The Banshee, the term is used in the crying of the Banshee, is used internationally to this day. Yeah. And uh, somehow it, it continues to stir the imagination. Mm. And that element of the cry is the one that has, shall we say, gained international attention. But there are, it, it, side by side with that, there's an extremely rich tradition. It's interesting the different the different names as well because that's something that I wasn't aware of. I remember your classes on this years ago. The different the distributions of different um, kind of name types, uh, and then the association that the word she meaning technically a kind of a fairy woman. And you note that in the book that Tomas Alcazig notes that she yeah, originally meant yeah. other world, but she's not really conceived of as as a fairy woman in any typical sense. He's more. She's more of a solitary, a solitary figure. And you mentioned on that the interesting that thing of the the bow or the bive. There's a quote here in the book from where you mentioned John O'Brien's Folklore Gaelic Berla from 1768, and he says he he glosses bive as banshee, a fairy woman vul- vulgarly supposed to belong to particular families. So there's all these different kind of distributions of names and 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 um and, and areas I suppose that are that are that are coming together. Well, there's a very, very rich uh, and varied oral tradition about the Banshee. And in the 70s, um, when, when I sent out, when a questionnaire was sent out for me from the Department of Irish Folklore University College Dublin, as I was starting my work uh, on the Banshee, it became evident that the tradition was alive and well, so to speak, and that people were very much uh, prepared to talk about the Banshee and lived quite proud of the fact that families uh, were followed. Hmm. And it was from that rich material that I was able to pinpoint and indeed to map the occurrence of a, uh, a very special name for, for the Banshee in the southeastern corner of Ireland. And that name was derived from the word uh, from Bayev, which was the old um, goddess of war uh, in, in early Irish literature and, and an answer of violent death in battle. And there in the southeast of Ireland, I found the variant forms such as uh, Bov, which was anglicised Bow. The Bow was out last night, someone would say. She was crying somebody. And that was found in Wexford, uh, in Carlow, and in South Wicklow. And mm. um, then there was a, um, another variant form of that, uh, the Bive Quinta, pronounced Bohinta, mm. in, in Kilkenny and adjacent parts of Tipperary and Leash. And then in Waterford, she was known as the Bibe. Hmm. And that's very definite. And actually, in, in County Waterford as well, there was a well there, a holy well, known as Toberna Bibe, which indicates that it's a very old tradition there. Hmm. It's important because it gives us clues as to how the, this tradition developed in Ireland, where it came from, how people adjusted it, and how they um, managed to, uh, to select a particular aspect of this 
survive uh, of early literature to make her an announcer of death hmm. uh, in the same way as, as the banshee, rather than a lamenter of death that has already happened. So it's very specific, and you can see how over time um, this transition was possible and was also important uh, for people. So it fitted in very well hmm. with the banshee and with the with the banshee tradition uh, in that part of the country. And you have, just to go back to, to go to the book here for a second, on the talk of names and the bive, you talk about the description of the name of a war goddess, also meaning scold, crow, um, deadly, dangerous, ill-fated, um, and also that it has relations to other Indo-European languages. So it's cognate with Gaulish, Budua, uh, old English, Beidu, Old Norse, battle, or words like hawk and so on. So there's there's all these different um, terms of a particular antiquity that are that are coming together. Well, there are all these ancient ideas hmm. still lingering on in the oral tradition of the southeast of Ireland. It tells you what a conservative, what a rich uh, tradition hmm. as well. And by virtue of the fact that that material is collected, it enabled me to give some ideas about the where, where this idea of the banshee and the bow uh, lamenting uh, or prognostication death uh, actually um, actually came from. So it's a very ancient idea. And also, when you look at when you when we we, we, when we consider how the banshee manifests herself, and throughout Ireland, it's the cry of the banshee. Mm. It's a very lonesome, almost human cry. Mm-hmm. In parts of the southeast, where she's called the bive or the bow or the bohinde, sometimes it sounds a bit more aggressive, like she's screeching, uh, and that it's, it's loud and it's, it's harsh and it's aggressive. Mm. Nevertheless, that, and that is probably linked uh, to, the, to the name. Uh, nevertheless, she is a woman, she's not a bird, mm. she's a, a lone figure, and she is crying for the death of, of, a, particular, of a particular family.
That was Landless uh, with Queen Ibrahim or Lament Number no. One from their 2018 album Bleaching Bones. One of the things that you were able to determine through your research as well was that this idea that you know you find replicated in different sources and literary sources mainly that she sometimes appears as a crow, quote unquote. That that isn't that wasn't true. That that doesn't appear in folk tradition anywhere. That there wasn't. No, any... it doesn't. It doesn't appear in folk tradition at all. So you, as you can see, they have adapted the warlike figure. Mm. This person, this this goddess figure connected with violence. They have they have adapted it to death. In families, mm. because that that is what it's about. I suppose that the, you have this um, wonderful figure of Kukulun, uh, the, the, the mm-hmm. dead Kukulun, and the crow on on his back mm. in the in the in the GPO, and and that is that illustrates the idea from the ancient literature and the violent deaths and battle. But the people themselves have adapted that tradition to um, be concerned with announcing death mm. or presaging death. In families, mm. in ordinary situations, in town and and, and, and town and country, mm. in a situation that was important for them as a family and was important uh, for the community as well. So I suppose it's of interest then to, to, to look at how, in fact, uh, they perceived uh, this um, supernatural being, uh, how mm. they knew that, uh, if you like, she was there. And, and what it meant for the community. And as I've mentioned, it was the cry. Mm. And it was the cry that announced her presence in most of Ireland. Yeah. And, um, on, on that as well, there's a lovely piece, just the, the detail of the analysis that, that you go into in your in your in, in the book, um, where you're you're going through a, a kind of I suppose a listing of the different terms that are that have been collected in the archival and the traditional sources. Um, and you note this this split. You say many of the terms express sorrow in general, and more particularly refer to the mor- mourning or the mourning sounds made by keening women at wakes and funerals. And so the terms in this group um, indicate the supernatural as being the supernatural being is sympathetic towards the person on the occasion whose death she makes her presence known. So it's terms like wail, lament, ulagon, logue, queen, and keen. But then, as you say, there's a second ter- group of terms that express a more fierce and frightening side to this death messenger. And you note these um, terms included, such as roar, scream, shriek, screech, shkreich, beck, and, and loo. So there are, there are these two kind of, and that's more in the bi-vary, these more aggressive terms are more prevalent. The second group, the more fierce and frightening, are, are in the bi-vary. Is that correct? Well, that is true. And that, in a way, shows you the two sides of the patron goddess, you know? Who's concerned with the fortunes? Who's amenable to the family, and also the, the war goddess, who's, pre- who's who's protecting the family. And I think these two elements of the older figures come come together very well in the old material. And again, it's thanks to the richness of that that I've been able to draw out and discuss those um, two streams. And I think it is very interesting the the lovely terms that they have um, adapted or. or applied to, to the sound which the, this figure makes throughout most of Ireland. Mm. And that it is lament, oligone, queen, and so on. They're lovely terms. They sound lovely in the Irish language. And they are very, they're very gentle, and um, they, they represent the grief of the community. Mm. Because remember, it is the community who hears it, rather than the people in the house. So it's represented of the grief of the community. Mm. And that is a heartfelt grief for one of their own who, um, who is going to pass away. Mm. And it's also been associated very much 
with the elderly members of the community indicating that such members died at home in the midst of the community. And um, the, the cry of the banshee was also seen as alerting the community to the fact that normal life as such would uh, be scaled down for some time as they dealt with the bereaved uh, family and helped them through that early stage uh, of bereavement, the preparation, uh, and particularly the wake, uh, and uh, and then and then the funeral. So it, mm. it had this um, a, a very, if you like, community spirit uh, attachment um, and and and, um, and and function for for families, and that's that's very recognised in the tradition. In other words, people were not afraid of it. In fact, they would be surprised if it didn't happen. And um, you, you find some lovely comments as well, you know, where, where a cry or a crying sound or a crying pipe of sound was heard. And people would be on the alert, particularly if they knew somebody was ill. They would be waiting for the banshee. And then, for example, the cry was heard and they were sort of moving to the countryside and nobody died. Well, then they had to ask themselves, what's happening here? Because uh, in, in many ways, the tradition had to... Uh, had to reinforce itself all, all the time. And that's indicative as well of how important it was to people. And mm. they would say, oh, she was only traveling through. It was somebody further over in another locality that was dying. Mm. And uh, she was on her way there. So mm. she was passing through. That's why we heard her. And that's why nobody was reported dying or dead in in uh, in, in, in this locality. Mm-hmm. So it, it, all of these little indications that you get from a ritual tradition mm. enables one to see how how people um, viewed death and um, how their thoughts were with uh, families who had members who were ill or expected to die. And you mentioned as well her, her, her cry um, as being the main manifestation really of, of her own tradition and we find like on, on one of the references that you make in the book there's there's an account that you've collected from Galway and you've translated it. It says, That is, her lamenting was more lonesome than human lamenting. There's an idea that that uh, that these kind of unearthly lamentations that are sometimes compared with noises made by nocturnal animals, you note know, cats and birds and so on, but it's an it's a kind of unearthly and sad wailing sound. Is is the is the yes? Well, of course, to to convince people, you know, that you'd actually heard it. Uh, you had to um, you had to you you had to describe it in a way that they they would understand, but you also and you could compare it to a vixen or a cat or a dog or whatever, but you also had to add characteristics that that ruled out completely it could possibly be one of these, and that was the sound to make the hair stand on your head. It was it, it was it was so high pitched that even deaf people could hear it. Well, I, I've heard people saying afterwards that it, 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 it could be um, a, a cats in, or a cat in mortal agony or an animal, but uh, that was not so. That didn't seem like that to me. It was an unearthly, um, a, a sad, sad, wailing sound, ending in, an, ending in a kind of a moan, a moaning, wailing sound, but terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Also, that it, it was moving from place to place, that it was going to in the direction of a particular house, that it frightened animals, that dogs uh, were howling, and that horses were galloping, 
And there's a wonderful um, tradition bearer in County Leash once said to me, and the whole world was, in, and the whole countryside was in chaos. Hmm. Because, of course, death is chaos. Death coming into the community is chaos. It is one that has to be handled. And um, in terms of the Banshee, the idea that you had this knowledge beforehand that death would take place, enable people to come to terms with that, to organize themselves. And also it enabled the community to organize themselves um, uh, as well. So um, the the idea of it being like something that people could normally compare it with, but being different. Mm-hmm. And that was part of what we call the criterion motifs in the business that um, proved to people it wasn't a human sound. And mm-hmm. then, of course, the fact that death occurred convinced them once again that in fact the banshee had had been uh, had been heard. I could tell you, banshee one. As a matter of fact, if there is such a thing, I have heard it twice. If there is such a thing, I'm not saying there is. In the backyard, it's an unmerciful wail. Now, you, do you hear? You often hear the cats now at night. You know. Well, no, they're only in the shed. This wail I heard is unmerciful. But on each occasion, there was a death in one house, in this terrace. And there's reference then to her cry specifically that how it, it there are you note like examples there's an account from Monaghan where as you write here that or, or the account state where, um, when you think you're getting close to where she starts to cry further away than ever um, and then another account from County Clare at one time the cry would be near and in about a second it would seem miles away so that this is kind of moving as there's an idea that she's moving around another account from Clare describes how they heard the wailing and crying coming towards the house First it seemed high up in the air and then it came lower and finally it went round the house three times and went away in the air wailing. So you have these kind of um, strange descriptions of of it coming close to the house or coming through an area, but always outside, always heard in, in the natural landscape largely. I don't suppose that anyone ever saw the banshee. No. It's a very weary cry. Yes. It could start now about a half a mile and it could come round in no time. Yes. I heard a brother of mine saying that he heard it. He was at a wedding. That night he heard it. But it's a very, very wearied cry. Yes, isn't it wonderful um, how detailed these accounts are? Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that people have heard her over time and, and they remember. And they remember the type of action or the type of um, presentation or manifestation. And what, what, what what's given there is you know, if you're thinking in terms of the human keening moment, the the place for the human keening moment and her performance situation was the house. She was present. She was in the house. She was present. She was visible to people. Mm. She was a human being. Whereas with the supernatural keening woman, she's always in nature. She is a nature being. She's always outside. And um, while the cry might be heard in parts of the southeast on the windowsill or very close to the house, what you find as well is that there is movement towards the house and, in other words, informing the community as she, as she moved, but definitely going towards a house and um, going through land as well to the house, going to the townland. And sometimes as well, this is um, she's thought to be going uh, by a stream or a river. Now, we know that sound um, um, travels along the stream or river. What you find in the oral tradition that she was moving with the sound. Mm-hmm. She was the sound that was actually impersonating, the, um, embodying the sound that was moving 
uh, towards the house. And there were some wonderful descriptions uh, of that as well. But inexorably, the motion is towards the house, around the house, over the house, but very definitely a house. Mm. And that is the house in which the person is dying and is about um, to, uh, to pass away. email with crossing the pentagram off of opening the astral doors that came out in 2010 on further records so the old family home is extremely important in tradition the land is important the old family home is important in fact so important that even if a person passed away or died elsewhere the sound might be heard around the old family home, even though it were, it were in ruins. It was in ruins. And this could also be the case if somebody died abroad, particularly in the United States, where in the past um, uh, it, you, you had to wait for a letter to come to say that a person uh, had died. You know in the book, there's a lovely one from County Roscommon, mm. where the sound was heard. Somebody was out, there was a cow calving and... Um, and the sound was heard, and one of the family says, you know, what was that? And uh, the father says, go to bed now. He says, don't take any notes of it, that's the banshee. And then two weeks or three weeks later, when the letter came from America, it said it was at the very same time and all, the very same night and the very same time that we heard the cry. Yeah, so yeah. in other words, they didn't know at that moment in time, or the community didn't know that somebody who died in the United States, but... Uh, nevertheless, the call had been made uh, and made to sort of speak, and they could look back and say, "Well, we were told. We just didn't, um, we didn't decipher it uh, properly at the time, mm. but we were still told." So, in a way, it's not a surprise to us. We have, uh, we have and, we... they, and they, I think, I think that from you know the way the people talk about it, that was consoling. Mm. 
we do we do have a number of accounts which I'll, I'll play that, that of of um in which exactly that's described where the banshee kind of crosses to foreign shores and is heard in america or sometimes is heard in america when somebody dies back at home what, what did you call the the banshee in kerry did you have a the name banshee, the banshee yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that I, the... I believed in the banshee did you ever hear her i did i did it might make you sit up and take notice right outside my door here in in, in uh... Northampton. You're right in Northampton. My sister lived upstairs. I had only... Um, my sister got married and she lived down in Holyoke and she didn't like Holyoke and she came up here. And uh, so I had only the two, two children and we had plenty of room here, you know. So she wanted to come up here. She was expecting her second baby. And I said, all right. So uh, he was sickly from the time he was born, and the doctor said he wouldn't leave, but she took great care of me. He lived to be three months anyway. So my, I was came, I stayed with her that night. The doctor thought he'd die that night. So um, he didn't. So I stayed with her. And I said, I think I'll go down now and nurse my own baby. I was nursing my own baby. And as I came in that hall there, this window, I didn't, I never put up the shades. And I saw this woman, she was stooped like that in black. Now this is, this is no fooling. I've often thought about it. And she was cry crying low, a regular queen, but it was low. And I went to the window and she walked up that way. And there was nobody up there that was living. There was, you couldn't get up there anywhere. There was a fence there. So my sister comes to the top of the stairs. She says, Mary, what was that? Who was crying? I said, Oh, I said, there was an old lady living with her daughter across in that house there. And she, I said, that's Mrs. Thompson. She must have fallen out of bed. I said, she gets out of bed nights and she's walking around, you know, and I, I pass it off like that. But that didn't please her. She said, this was really cr crying, Mary. I said, I didn't hear it. I did hear it. But I may believe, you know. And that was a banshee. He died the next day. Now, and now, I never believed in the banshee. Never believed in it, but I do believe in it now, and I don't care what anybody thinks of me to say. I do really believe in it. I think it was a kind of a, it was foreshown to me. Now you may think, I, I'm really serious and about it. Well, there are strange things in the world that we don't understand. Huh? There are strange things in this world that we don't understand. Yeah, well, that happened to myself. I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned there about the keening woman um, and the idea of the, 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 these lamenters who would keen the dead at wakes in, in the home. 
but as far as the origins of the Banshee are concerned or the, the folk views of her origin, you note in the book that in some instances she was sometimes thought this death messenger was considered um, that she was kind of had formerly been a keening woman who continues her activity after death. Like you have a piece in the book here from County Westmeath, um, which says that that uh, uh, the Banshee was one of the old criers. She didn't say who she was, but it was always given down by people then that the Banshee belonged to the criers. Um, yeah, I think that's from the Delvin area in in County Westmeath. Okay, okay. And um, yes, and I think the idea there is, you see, uh, is that she was a penitential figure. In other words, that you find in other accounts that she was supposed to lament and she couldn't because she herself might have, have, have died or that she was paid to lament and something stopped her from doing so. So she would have to come back and actually um, do that to be relieved of, of, of her penitential state. But I think, as I say in the book as well, I think this has become attached to the Banshee. It's actually quite a different tradition. And if you look at the chapter there on, on the origin, it's very thin. There, is, there are very few ideas, actually, about the origin of the Banshee. And I think the reason for that is that it was the social context, the psychological context. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for families that people were interested in? Hmm. Uh, in the same way, in, in many ways, if you take folk cures, people don't delve into uh, how does it work? <laughs> What's behind it? How does it work? They want to know, is this going to work for me? Yeah. Uh, what 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 assistance is it for me? And I think that uh, it's the same. It's the same with the Banshee. The focus was on the the connection with death and uh, what it meant in in particular communities. It's interesting what you mentioned there is that about the the, the relative lack, the scarcity of, of of knowledge around views of her origin. But one of the things I thought was really interesting that you note in that chapter is why the way that that. You know, if you turn to explanations based on on kind of Christian concepts, uh, you don't find any solution. That you describe her her the death messenger complex. You describe as being uh, a Christian largely. Well, well, yes. In in line again with with the she doesn't belong to to the Christian afterlife, the Christian tradition, and um, uh, there is nothing to link her uh, in in uh, in that connection to the saints or anything else. So it, it's it's an extremely old belief. And um, and um, in, if you also consider the, the reaction to the human keening women, uh, also um, the, the the reaction uh, was spurred on by the fact that the the lament produced by the human keening women didn't mention anything about a Christian afterlife. There was no uh, there was no mention of heaven or hell or redemption. It glorified the human existence and the hero's existence in in the countryside. And uh, in the Banshee tradition as well, it's a very old tradition, and um, it, it is, I think, the human need for consolation of different kinds at the moment of death. And of course, side by side with the Banshee tradition, uh, you had all the the, um, the 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 church traditions as well, because um, the, the person would have received the sacrament, then known as the sacrament of extreme unction or the sacrament uh, of the sick. Um, and times past, the, the, the priest would have come to the house and said the said the mass there. Subsequently, in, uh, in later times, it was in it was in the church. The priest would have officiated at the burial. Uh, all of the things which which happen today. So you had these two traditions side by side, and uh, nobody saw anything incongruous in it. One was 
community, family orientated prior to death, and the other one kicked in uh, also uh, prior to death, which takes emotion, and then after the death situation. Because remember, once death had occurred, the banshee was gone, so to speak. Hmm. Uh, it then um, was the role of the human keening woman, and it was the role uh, of, of, of the church and its various uh, constellations that, uh, that, that people still um, uh, find um, <coughs> so consolatory uh, at, at the present time. So mm. we have these two traditions working there side by side in harmony in people's minds. And and one of the, 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 I suppose, the ways in which she manifests, like you note that the death messenger kind of, she restricts her attention to certain families. That's another very popular, popular tradition that you find, or a popular idea that you find in, in the traditional stories. And it's implied in lots of um, belief statements and memorets. Like you, you list, uh, again, in, in the text, different terms used to describe uh, the Banshee's connection to certain families, that she follows families, that she comes after families, goes with families, accompanies them, and that she go out that she that she cries for our people. She cry or the phrase to cry somebody, which is a strange um um kind of phrase in its way. Um and that she goes for is or is attached to. And then you know, you note some nineteenth century literary sources that she waits upon, attends or haunts certain families. So what what was the connection with, with the Banshee and specific families? Yes, uh, and again, you will notice the, the wonderful richness of the terms used for it. And again, that was thanks to the um, Irish Folk Commission and, and the questionnaire uh, respondents. And the, the idea behind all of that, I think it can be summed up in saying that she follows them from generation to generation. There is a generational connection there. And it leads, I think, back to the idea that she is in some way an ancestress of the family. Mm. And this, again, can be linked up to these figures we may mention in in the earlier uh, in the, in the earlier uh, earlier of the literature, uh, goddesses um, protecting um, the the inhabitants of particular noble families in the, their uh, and their community in their particular areas, the old goddess of war and so on, protecting them in a war war like fashion. So there is this ancestors element there, and that again has been reiterated in the old tradition or adapted. Uh, uh, and, and it said it's one of your own coming to take you away. Mm. In other words, that it's one who's gone and who's coming back to take you to the other side. In other words, you're not going unaccompanied into the unknown world. You're actually being brought over the line by one of your own and they will introduce you to the, the family dead on the other side. Again, it's a very uh, consoling idea, like you find in the, in the prison tradition, of joining the faithful uh, departed is another way uh, of, of, of saying that. Mm-hmm. So that ancestral connection is very strong, and that is expressed in modern-day terms, saying that she follows the O's and the Max. Mm-hmm. And these are families, noble families of Gaelic origin. So to say you were followed by the Banshee was to indicate <laughs> that you might have been a step above the rest, so to speak. <laughs> to the noble background, but I think particularly lying that you had land, that you had land and you had entitlement to land, even if not then, but once upon a time, Mm. uh, before the old Gaelic world fell asunder in the the 17th century uh, and so on. So in other words, it ties you to the land and it ties you to the land of Ireland.
The Banshee was a regular in Ring's End, and the people believed in it. There was a lot of families that when the Banshee would cry, there'd be a death in the family. My husband said he heard the, the Banshee himself, he never forgot it. It was about 12 o'clock at night, and they were coming home down round B. Pembroke Street, that way up that way, and uh, the crowd of the lads all. And he said that uh, there was three unmerciful screeches, and there was a, like a doctor travelling that, that night, wherever he was going, and he took off, left the bag down, blessed himself, took off his hat, and left the, with the terrible screeches. They said it was the banshee. It was a woman, the banshee was supposed to be a little woman, but she was very regularly heard in Ring's End. And the country people be always believed, one generation, they believed in her, that she was always down in the country, and they brought that tradition up with them. In saying that she follows the O's and the Max, that's very inclusive, but it also is exclusive, in the sense that, if you look at the list of families, I think I have there. There are 180 um, different family names you've identified yeah, in the book. Yeah, it's a huge number, and I'm sure I've only, I, I've only got some of them, you know. And I remember at the time I was doing the book that one of the first names there was a Hearn. I think Bertie Hearn was teacher around that time. <laughs> I'm around that time. So. Uh, my students just laugh when I mention that name. Um, but... Um, and uh, not not uh, for any um, ill purpose reason, mm. I, I can assure you, it was just sort of coincidence. But um, so it was exclusionary. In other words, what it was saying in a way that um, there were others who were not entitled to the land. And mm. those were people who had um, got land in 17th and um, late 17th century Ireland and, and, and so on. And people were very, very sort of definite about that. So it was inclusive inclusionary and also exclusionary mm. uh, at the same time. And um, that, that idea, I think, has lingered on because I think I said there in the book as well that people would say, you know, I heard of Angie last night, but she doesn't follow my family. Mm-hmm. She, she follows the, the family in Myler Row, Delvin, County Westmead, or, and yeah. people would know which families are followed. And then I also recall a, a woman from, from um, the suburbs Dublin saying to me, I heard the banshee last night, she said. Um, I remember it vividly, and she gave a very vivid description of the banshee, but she said she wasn't worried because it didn't follow her family. Hmm. And she said a neighbouring, a personal neighbouring family died. So you have this recognition that there are um, different types of moments of death. And of course, the banshee uh, did uh, was brought into that category of, of omens of death. I mean, other families, birds, knock at the window or they come into the house or lights surround the house. In other words, there is something which tells the family that death is approaching. Hmm. And that clearly is the kernel of the idea here, you know? Death is approaching.
covers Shima with opening the astral doors off of the 2010 tape from Further Records. And the idea that nobility as well, there's, there's um, isn't there that, that poem regarding the, the, the Banshee, I think it's in Kerry, and oh, she's yes, lamenting. Oh, the one with fairy tales. Yeah, yeah, and they're, yeah, they're, they're frightened. The peasants are frightened, and she stops and scolds them and says, I, I don't I don't lament your sort, or something to that effect. Yes, and she he said, the, the, the poet said, New queen and menashivu lehetsa. The banshee doesn't cry the likes of you. <laughs> In other words, they, they were the, the hucksters and, mm-hmm. and so on, and people who probably had gotten on, not the nobles, Anglo-Norman, Fitzgerald family. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear there. And he also mentions the Shivan or the one, the woman that's cried in the various areas in the land which, which they which they they owned as well. So it's very clear that that, that idea is where you you had to be, you were noble Gaelic. The banshee um, uh, cried cried mm. for you, and um, I mean this idea I, I suppose has been watered down in 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 the tradition, but nevertheless, um, the idea of the banshee cries for you. Uh, was something that people were very proud of. And again, it's not really, you know, good manners in the case that you didn't say it yourself. The important thing was that the community knew it mm. and that they knew the banshee. It were, they were expecting the banshee, if somebody was, was very ill, uh, to cry. And of course, that was a step up for the, for the family in question, that the community knew that this particular individual, this particular moment of death followed um, for the family. So there again, it, um, there was, in fact, you get the idea from the tradition that the, that the person couldn't die when the banshee was heard hmm. because that she followed, she told, and the person died. And hmm. in other words, she had come to lead them to the, the community of the dead, of their own dead uh, on, the, on the other side. And so as a kind of an, an ancestress, you, you, you note in the, in the book as well that this is a very old idea and you suggest that or that she might be on par with the old Norse female spirit, the Filge. What I'm doing there is I'm showing that in other cultures, you also had the device of Brower, the white woman, or the Filge, mm. that were associated with their death in, in, in certain times. So it's, it's, it's a very old idea and a widespread idea. And then in Ireland, you, you have this uh, particular version of it. Mm. And um, the fact that we have such a rich early literature, old uh, early literature, and the fact that we have a rich oral tradition. And it's really interesting to look at the continuities and the changes um, uh, between both. And as death is ever present, clearly it's an area um, uh, which is, is richly covered um, in, uh, in, in both traditions. Mm-hmm. I want Patricia just to play a brief piece of music here, very briefly from um, uh, a fellow Clare native, Michael Russell. And this is a oh, real. Oh, Clare, yes. Yeah, and this, this is a reel that takes its name from from the banshee. This is the banshee reel. Oh yes, and I presume it's the tin whistle. It is, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful! Thank you.
So we were mentioning there the, the, the different, I suppose, her origins and manifestations. But apart from the, the, the aural manifestations, there are also traditional accounts of, of visual manifestations where she's seen. Like they're, they're less frequent, I think, from your research. But she's described in a variety of different details. But largely, she, she generally appears alone. Is that correct? Oh, yes. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you've, it, and I think it's very important to find out the word death, on Vanshee. It means that the families followed have their own banshee. Now, you never hear of these banshee meeting up and having a, a meeting or, or such. In other words, they don't congregate to each other. Each family retains its own. And um, this, this, is, this is, is a very important element. And because also she has come and developed in tradition as the ancestors of the family, clearly then she would be, she would be um, generally speaking, a person uh, of elderly visage, and um, she would be regarded as being a, a small individual with long hair, generally grey hair, and um, with um, uh, um, an elderly um, um, gait and, 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 and complexion. And she's also quite small, and she's, of course, out as she's a nature figure. She's moving in the countryside, so she's dressed as an elderly woman had been in the 19th or early 20th century. In other words, she's wearing very often a cloak. Mm. And also, from the um, point of view of convincing others that you have seen the Vanshee, obviously she has to be dressed in something that's visible. So there are different colours, but the most common one is white, mm. which links her to the ghost world uh, as well, of course. So she's dressed in white. And because she's um, an elderly figure, female figure, out in nature, She's said to be barefoot, as indeed many elderly women were, who wore the cloak and people who didn't as well, who walked through fields, going to mass, early mass in the morning or going to town. They would bring their shoes with them and wash their feet at a place that are well towards the, the town and then put on their shoes and uh, do the same uh, on the return journey. And interesting as well is the fact that she's bareheaded. Now, when you see... Uh, figures, uh, depictions of figures with a cloak. Generally, the cloak is, is if they're out in the countryside, the cloak, uh, the hood of the cloak is on their head. That was its purpose. But here, it isn't. And the reason for that is that um, in many parts of Ireland, particularly in the southeast and um, going northwards a bit towards the south, but not very much, just as East Munster, and in the southern parts of um, of Connacht uh, and Ulster, she's said to be combing her hair. Now, it's important to point out that she's not said to be tearing her hair, because that is what the human keening woman does. Which, and you find that in the Irish tradition, you find it uh, in in the um, traditions uh, in Europe and elsewhere as well. The tearing of the hair as a sign uh, as a sign of grief. But here she's combing her hair and. Um, and it's it led to a, a really um, very distinctive uh, legend, um, the, the migratory legend of the Banshee's comb. And I say migratory because it has travelled throughout Ireland. You don't find it as a point in all of Ireland. You don't find it outside of Ireland. Mm. But it's very definite and um, it involves the idea. I suppose people sort of ask themselves, you know, what is she doing in her spare time? <laughs> Where is she when she's not signalling death? Mm. And um, the, the, and again, the richness of the imagination, they came up with the idea that she is a nature figure, so she's there somewhere in nature. And because she is 
uh, a figure of the other world, she would, of course, be uh, in betwixt and between places. And um, where she's generally found is at the the boundaries of townlands, mm. at, at rivers, or indeed, much more commonly, uh, at a stepping stone or a stile you find in, in ditches and so on, where people... Mm were out at night, maybe going to wakes, maybe going to dance, and maybe visiting neighbors' houses, and they would cross through the land. They would take a short cross through the land. And you found so many places they were to to facilitate that. They were stepping to uh, styles over the various walls and uh, walls and ditches. So she's she's encountered in that liminal place, hmm. belonging neither to here nor to there. And uh, the individual, generally speaking, it's a man. If the if the comb is taken aggressively from the, the banshee, he, snap, he snatches her comb from her hmm. and he runs off and um, he comes home and he's lucky if he gets in home because uh, she, can, she follows him and uh, there is this wonderful um, version of the legend which I have there in the book as well and it's told um, it's a County Galway one where, where a person was out in the, in the bog and he was um, he, he was dealing with with turf. Um, he was he was saving the turf there, and there was a stream, uh, a little lake there, and uh, he came upon the banshee. And in this instance, she's washing clothes there, which you find in the Galway tradition, which of course again links her to the old goddess of war. And uh, she also has a comb. Now he didn't snatch; she was washing. He snatched the comb, and he ran homeward. And there's a wonderful description of him running home and the banshee tearing after him in the most uh, uh, extraordinary fashion uh, and, and uh, screaming and, and aggressively after him. And um, she has a beetle in her hand, which was um, a sort of a paddle. Mm. And this was used by women to uh, to wash clothes, to batter, batter clothes. And she flings the beetle at him and he gets away. And he runs again and she follows him and she flings it a second time and he escapes. And the third time she flings it, he's just made it in his own home. In other words, he's back in the human world. And he closes the door to keep her in the outside world. And the beetle hits off the, the gable end of the house. And it says, anytime you go back to that house, you'll see the gable end of the house split in two even halves. And that's how it happened. And then you follow on. At the follow on, of course, she has to get back her comb. It's clearly very important for her. And to communicate with the outside world, which, of course, the, the world, um, the night world is the world of the dead and the world of the other world. There is a saying that you find throughout Europe, the day is for the living and the night is for the dead. So it is the night world and um, it, it is the world of the animals and of the supernatural. And to communicate with that world, you need something to protect you. And in the tradition, you have the window, which can be lifted up. And the tongs, which is made of iron, which is protective, it's doubly protective because it's associated with the fire. And uh, that is used. And it's interesting that it's used generally by a man, because usually the tongs is the property of the woman of the house, because she uses it around the fire. That is her domain of activity, or was her domain of activity in the house, the open fire. So it was quite a long tongs. And um, the, he grabs the comb with that, he puts it out the window to her. She takes the comb 
and she takes half the tongs with her, or as the woman down in County Leash said to me, she twists it up like a ball of twine. And uh, this woman said, and I know where that tongs is to this day, and it's twisted up like a ball of twine. Hmm. In other words, it was dangerous to interfere with the supernatural world. Hmm. So that was another element of the Banshee, and that was the development of the tradition. And the message there was not to be out late at night, and uh, not not to accost people you meet out late at night, and certainly uh, you, you, you should know that you might meet the Banshee, particularly if there was somebody ill um, in, in the locality. So it's a development of the tradition. It's a wonderfully, wonderfully rich tradition. I remember the, the, the comb legend from my own childhood as well, um, and the idea that it had to be returned to out the window, but that something would be, would be mangled. And there was, even, there was even for years in the folklore archive, down at the back of the archive, sticking out from beneath uh, some of the shelving on the floor was a comb, which I didn't pick up for years. It was kind of stuck, half jutting out, but I, I made sure to leave it well alone. Oh, you were, I think you're very lucky because you find that actually in Dublin, in the Dublin tradition as well. And um, I remember this woman again, I think it was in the Crumlin Range Core area, saying to me they were always warned not to pick up a comb, and particularly a comb that had teeth missing, because it could be the banshee's comb. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I remember from from my own childhood, yeah. Well, I don't mind yourself, but I remember even before that now, if you saw a comb on the ground, they'd say, that's the banshee's comb, don't touch that. You know, you were warned against immediately, and you you believed it, like it was the banshee's comb. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Do you know any ghost stories? Ghost stories? Yes. yes. Do you know ghost See, my, uncle, my uncle Jackie was going for a walk um, uh, to go for, for a walk and um, on the way he was going down the road from our place and he seen this person brushing her hair. It was white and um, it was a banshee. A banshee. And we just fly down from the which through the comb and the the banshee through the comb but she didn't get him. And the, the connection with her, with her hair, her hair always features so so prevalently. Uh, and this image of her combing her hair, do, do you have any idea of where that, that stems from? Well, I think you find this in the older literature as well. The women who emanate from the other world, they have long hair. And you find this in a whole variety of women emanating, uh, coming out um, of, of the other world. And I think that, that links her with um, again, with the idea of the she, she's uh, or the, the other world dwelling, that that is a characteristic. It's in the older literature, and also, of course, it's uh, linked with the the people of the sea, with the mermaid combing her hair. She is, a, um, and she is also another world woman from the other world of un, of, of um, underneath uh, the sea. I think it is, um, uh, and you you find it of the Shivan, of the Ashling poetry as well. And uh, actually, again, in this very rich county Waterford tradition, there is a, there is a, a, some tradition, it's, it's an image tradition, but it's there, that she might, as well as being a, an elderly individual, that she might be a tall, beautiful, long-haired individual. So you have these two elements, again, of the she-woman, of the early literature, uh, the long hair and um, and the the bide figure, if you like, of, of the the goddess of war, looking uh, quite differently. So the hair um, it tells us that she is from the other world, and also that she's connected, um, that she has a death connection. If you look at it in terms of uh, of the bide as well, so 
it is again the, the richness of the early literature and the richness of the old tradition that allows one to make these suggestions mm. uh, in, in relation to continuities and change mm. between the older and the and and the later uh, and the later tradition, popular tradition. And then, apart from from the kind of combing her hair, um, or the, that that idea of, of the comb, there's also the the another kind of legend you, you note in the in the book, uh, legends of interference where she's kind of offended okay. and interfered with. But the shirt legend, where she's washing her clothes in a river, and you mentioned the idea that she has a beetle often with her that was used to wash clothes. Um, but but what's the, the basic premise of the shirt legend, so-called? Well, uh, that's, that's the name I put on it, um, because it's I think it's the shroud she's washing. And you can find that in the North Clare tradition, in Cogabale, Regalde, and it's very much in the old tradition of, of County Galway, that she's washing clothes at the stream. And of course, this links her again to the washer at the ford idea, the woman who presages violent death in battle. Yeah. Uh, the, again, it's, it's the by the figure, the, the, other, the other side of her, if you like, the protectress of the family, uh, the warlike element of, of her. And um, in, again, in the oral tradition, she's not linked with violent death in battle. She's portrayed as washing clothes at a stream and in some of these we find that it's actually the shroud of the person who's going to die that she's washing. In other words it, that's how it has developed in the old tradition um, uh, and mm. um, and then of course the uh, individual, generally a male again a young fella, snatches it from her or says something to insult her and he goes to the wake house and she comes in and takes the shirt out uh, off him and, and goes off. In other words she was um, Giving him, giving him uh, an indication of how he should behave uh, out at night, and how the, if you like, the 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 the, the other world of the night should be respected, and mm. those and those who who um, who dwell in it. And in relation to that, um, you mentioned the archive and the comb and so on. I recall when I was working on Mabanchi, I was looking for this depiction of the washer of the ford in the oral tradition connected with battle. And I recall that I was searching for it in the Battle of the Boyne and other major battles uh, that had a very decisive influence on life in Ireland from the 17th century. And um, I, I, I wasn't finding it. And then on one occasion, I was in the archive and um, I was looking for a particular volume the manuscripts, you know what I'm talking about, and those who are familiar with the archive in the, the national, if it's now called the National Folklore Collection, you know that they're kept in a particular room there in the archive room. They're green volumes, and they have the numbers of the volumes on the back. Mm. And I was looking for a particular volume, with, um, and I had a page reference. And um, I, I actually, for some reason or other, I took a volume from the shelf below where this volume that I was looking for was placed. And I opened it at the uh, page reference that I had, and I was looking at it, and I said to myself, this is not what I'm looking for at all. And then I realized that right there in front of me was an account, a folk account, from the early 20th century of the Battle of Ockram, which was a very decisive battle, again, um, in, in, the, in the Irish context. And the, 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 this woman, who wasn't called the Bible, but um, the Banshee, she was washing the clothes in a stream. And, um, uh, and, and of course, she was presaging 
um, the loss uh, of uh, the defeat of, shall we say, the Irish side at that um, at that particular battle. So it, it goes to show that in doing research, you know, that, um, um, that there can be that lucky moment, that decisive moment where, where you find something, um, uh, even quite by accident uh, in, in that wonderful archive. That's you fantastic. Know? Yeah, that, that image, it's a really striking image. The, the 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 washer at the ford it's one that i only knew you you list lo- lots of different sources in the early literature and um, the one i associated with was in the town where cuchulain is on his way to his death at his final battle and he sees the woman washing or lifting bloody yes. bloodied clothes out of the river um and yeah. as he looks back at her she did she vanishes fr- from from the bank uh, and so yes th- and it's interesting again how that uh, the continuity stay there and how it came down into the oral tradition courtesy of, of the Banshee uh, and um, uh, and um, how it was adapted to, um, to to a sort of, if you say, a normal situation where somebody is washing the shroud or where somebody is dying, you know, because the, it's, it's occurring in, in the context of a young man going to a wake. And uh, so the link, um, the link with death remains, even though it's not violent death, mm. you know, although her reaction is indicative of somebody who shouldn't be interfered with, shall we say. Mm. And the tradition then continues to the, to this day. I mean, as far as the, the continuity fr- from the early literature and from those sources, it's a fantastically rich body of material. It's still in many instances kind of in folk tradition nowadays. There's a belief that transcends kind of country and town. It's found found the country over, really. I think it, I think it, would, it would be very interesting to... Uh, actually, you know, do do some work on that again. To to actually ask people, you know, uh, are there still people who believe in Banshee? Uh, uh, there are. Um, I feel I, I feel quite sure. And also, uh, it would be also of interest to know are they as prepared to talk about it as they were uh, in the past? And um, you know, in the context of other omens of death as mm. well, how do people nowadays? How are they told? Shall we say in advance? that uh, a death is imminent. And I think maybe it's important to point out as well that in the context of the Banshee, it was to some extent expected death. In other words, that um, that um, um, unexpected death uh, wasn't catered for so much, so, 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 so to speak. I think I have accounts there of somebody who died in an accident and... Um, People were saying, you know, that um, that uh, the banshee had had been heard, but they didn't know, of course, um, who it was crying for. When this person died accidentally, he was had, a, had an accident when cutting trees or something like that. They were able to sort of say, well, actually, it wasn't sudden death after all, because we did hear the banshee, but we didn't know it was for this person. Mm-hmm. So. It was it was important always to sort of um, to prove um, uh, uh, to sustain uh, sustain the tradition, but in the past um, it, it was very much for for expected for expected, because it worked very well in that context, mm. and um, and um, also I suppose it's it's sort of of interest to to look at, we've mentioned it briefly, where, where the banshee was supposed to be seen outside the house and in, in, in places uh, in, in the countryside as well. Times have changed. Um, people don't travel to the countryside all that more. But also, then it's important to remember that the banshee was also um, held in the city. And um, so I think it would be very interesting to 
um, to look at that um, tradition again, to ask people, you know, does the banshee follow your family? Have you had recent experiences of it? Do you know of other people who had experiences of it? What, what other sort of omens of death are still considered of importance mm. in society uh, in these um, in these changing times? Mm. And maybe it's it's something that might be again um, looked at in terms of the current pandemic. Mm-hmm. And one might say, in these very abnormal times, is this a, is this something? feature of it mm. I, certainly in, in field work I did in the inner city in the last number of years I, I had a couple of instances um, of, of quite an adamant kind of beliefs in the Banshee where people recounted their own experience of her um, so I think as you say there's still quite an active active belief uh, in her overall but an amazing amazing rich seam of material as this kind of ancestress or guardian figure you find it very much in the older you know older communities yep where there's a, a cohesive community because it is part of the collective tradition. You need somebody to have heard it, to tell it, to be approved. Mm. Is there any sense that, or, or way that you'd summarise her in, in your own mind? Well, I think that that, that phrase that I, I, I found, um, that I've come up with, you know, she's one of your own who's coming to take you to the other side. I think it's a very consoling image. It's a very consoling statement. I think it's one that uh, death is always with us. I think it remains relevant well in the, in the 21st century and mm. and and no doubt later. Mm. Um, just before we finish, I'm going to just finish with a piece of music from, from Landless from their album Bleaching Bones from 2015 with a piece called Queen. Um, if we're though Queen number two or Lament number two um, but just Patricia to, to say thank you so much for an absolutely fascinating discussion into the research you're done I feel like I'm back in the in your lectures um, but it was just yeah. an amazing privilege to have you here and I'm sure that our listeners will be absolutely delighted to to, to, um, um, to learn all of this material regarding the Banshee and the work that you've done on her and I'd advise anyone anyone listening as well thank you to... Johnny and uh, it's a pleasure to talk to, it's always a pleasure to talk to a former student <laughs> <laughs> and I'd advise anyone listening as well to go online and to get uh, to buy themselves a copy of of Patricia's book um, The Banshee The Irish Supernatural Death Messenger or The Pocketbook of the Banshee um, because they're just a fascinating resource and, and tome and kind of authoritative of work on the topic um, so Patricia thank you so so much for, for being so generous with your time and, and all of your knowledge Okay, Johnny. Thanks a million. No problem. Good luck. <laughs>